Hey, what's up, everybody? I've got stuff in my eye the minute we start. Isn't that fun? Uh, hello, this is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. Today is uh, March 1st, 2016. Thank you so much for joining me. I apologize. This is normally a Wednesday event, um, but I can't do it tomorrow because uh, I live in a city where you get jury duty it, all the time. And so I have I, I get jury duty every two years, Jesus Christ, like clockwork. I mean, there may be like a month overlap, so I may, I may go, you know, 25 months or something, but I basically get it every two years. So hopefully tomorrow I'll go in there and say, I don't like, I don't know, insurance companies or I don't know, donks and they'll let me off, but, uh, could be a long slog. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, here we are today. Uh, lot to get to, you know, with, despite jury duty, there's a lot going on this week. Sorry, I got Barbas here. Um, say hi, but I can put you down. Yeah, there's Barbas. All right. Uh, we got UFC 196. We got, or we're just past Anderson Silva losing to Michael Bisping. We've got the Conor McGregor sweepstakes still going on in other divisions. Frankie Edgar's out there making a stir, causing a stir, doing the whole nine. So a lot to get to. Your questions, your comments. Uh, of course, best place to do that is on MMAfighting.com. You can also get at me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas and use the chat rappers hashtag. I'll get to those too. Um, so thank you again for watching. And by the way, if you're watching this now, give it a thumbs up and like it and share it, and I appreciate everyone who leaves a kind comment. All right, with that out of the way, let's just go ahead and get this done. And by the way, you'll note, look, where's your diet soda? My sleeping problems have become so severe that uh, I'm really, really, really trying to cut back on my caffeine. So I had coffee this morning. I can't give, I'm just not prepared to give that up. But uh, I am no longer, I would say I'm 98% done with diet soda. Um, for now. So I'm just drinking straight up mineral water. That's it. Not nearly as tired as I thought I would be midday, but maybe that's because I'm getting a little bit better sleep. All right. And you don't care. Oh, and I know I'm wearing a hat and everyone's going to make a comment about wearing a hat because when you do video work, people, um, have an inordinate amount of fixation on irrelevant details of your appearance. So, I know you're all going to say something. I know you're going to say something. You don't really need to. I'm just wearing a hat because I feel like wearing a hat today, but such is life. All right. Let's get this party started. Let's see. Uh, Diaz. How do you see Diaz winning the fight if he does? And is this fight in a small or big cage? It is, of course, in a big cage because it's a pay-per-view at the MGM. The small cages are for venues that can't accommodate the, the uh, bigger cage. Obviously, MGM can. So, um, well, I don't see him winning the fight, just to be clear. But I guess if he did, how would he do it? Well, like I said, there's really only really one of two ways he wins fights. He either gets you at the end of his punch for enough to cause problems, or he catches you in his guard. There's really not a lot of other ways he wins. Um not necessarily the biggest back taker in the world, not a takedown top passing kind of guy, doesn't throw a lot of kicks, doesn't do a lot of wrestling. His offense is kind of narrowed. Um, the pieces he's good at are things he's very good at, but it's not a huge array of offense. Um, so I suppose if Connor, you know, sometimes he's like to live on his chin a little bit, but it hasn't really cost him because he doesn't do it too much. Um, and a lot of guys can't make him pay for very long. So there's that. Um, 
you know, he does have the two inch reach advantage over Connor. He is taller, you know, punching up is a little bit more exhausting. Um, but it, to me, it would require Conor McGregor making some kind of mistake. That or Diaz's boxing is so much better than we thought. I mean, maybe maybe he'll go in there and box him out. I don't know. I have a hard time seeing that. I think the speed of McGregor is going to really give him problems, and then the angles. But but we'll see. Diaz by seven twenty inverted hook kick, unlikely. Unlikely. All right, Rampage Jackson, could you match make the remaining two fights on Rampage's contract for us from Bellator's point of view, please? A lot of fun options there. Schoonover, Kimbo, Lashley, Davis, and King Mo. Um, I suspect that they might give him Kimbo, but if they give him the Kimbo fight, it'll only be because they're getting rid of Kimbo. I think once Kimbo loses, they'll just be done with him. Um unless it's something really weird and controversial and it merits bringing him back. The Schoonover fight, I don't find too likely. Um, honestly, I think you might see the Tito Ortiz fight, believe it or not. I think that's the one that you know everyone crucified Rebney for, but that was probably the smartest call he ever made in terms of getting any attention for that product. Um, so probably that one. Um, who? What else could they give him? There's some decent fights. They might give him the Kingbo rematch, but you know that's going to be what it was the first time, probably. So I I don't know that that would be the case. Uh, maybe a fight with Magiri because they'll slug it out. Um, they may they may put him in kickboxing. I don't know if that would cover the same kind of contract he's got, but uh, but yeah, I, I would suspect they're going to give him a name that you recognize and a name that can sell. Scoonover doesn't really sell. Um, Lashley might, but that would be a bit of a wrestle fest and Davis and Mo would, but that would also be too wrestle fest. I just don't think they know. I think they know that's not what they want from him. And I think, uh, he knows that's not what he wants. He wants someone who's going to stand up and trade with him. And, uh, McGeary will do that. And Tito Ortiz wouldn't necessarily do that, but the wrestling, um, his wrestling is not such a forceful thing at this stage of his career that it, is the same kind of problem that you face, say, against Phil Davis or something like that, right? Um, but definitely people were, at, you know, it, it's interesting. People were like, oh, you know, Bellator doesn't have to go the freak show route. And they were saying, look at all these guys, you could have headline shows. But they were just naming individual names. What it wound up being was if you took them all down, it was you're talking about two, maybe three shows. I'm responding to an individual tweet. And it's true, they need to do those freak shows differently than they've been doing. I think we can all pretty much agree at this point. But, um, Rampage is not so big at this point that you can just have him versus any donk. I mean, I guess you could do it. Wouldn't make the most sense. It would make much more sense. You get a lot more bang for your buck when you have Rampage versus somebody like, let's say, Tito Ortiz, that both folks know a lot. They have that, you know, they're together from a certain era in history. They never fought. They almost did, you know, and, and maybe it was poorly promoted with the two guys hitting each other with hammers on TNA. I don't know, but, um, I suspect Coker could do a, a pretty good job of it, and uh, Spike could do a pretty good job of it under different circumstances. So we'll see how that goes. You know, I don't know that they're going to pick Ortiz, but it, just to suffice to say, you can't put uh, you know Rampage Jackson versus Christian and Pumbu two, Pumbu two, and then expect that to be the same or you know good enough as a headliner at this point. I just don't find that to be a particularly likely thing. And now, of course, Barbas wants to go. He wanted nothing but more than to come up here into the office, and now he wants to go. 
because he's a traitor. All right. Rule changes in MMA. Luke, what do you think about the following possible changes to improve the sport of MMA? One, 12 to 6 elbows are legal. Um, with certain conditions still applied, right? You couldn't do it to the back of the head. I feel like if you legalize 12 to 6 right away, that would be a big problem. Um, if you still did it to the crown of the head as if you were on your back and doing it, which is legal, right? 12 to 6, is it's not this motion that's illegal. It's this motion with the force of gravity. So if you're on your back and you're doing this, it's not, but there are still portions of the head you can't hit. I guess all I'm saying is if they did it where they legalized it from a standing position, someone's trying to take you down. Right now, you have to kind of arc it in. You have to come at an angle like this, like a, like a quarter circle. I feel a lot of guys would abuse that rule, even though um, the change in the rule probably, if correctly applied, would be just fine. So that's my only worry. Is not It's not that if people obeyed the spots on the head you couldn't hit, that 12 to 6 would somehow still be problematic. 12 to 6 is only problematic because I feel like it would lead to a lot of guys getting banged on in the back of the head from a takedown and then referees not really doing the right thing about disqualification or warning or stopping the bout and guys would end up losing or winning uh, based on some really sketchy things. Now, I'm not saying that's a cause not to do it, but maybe there is you know, a slow rollout is, is worth considering. Any two fouls within a 10-minute period are an automatic point deduction. No, that's a terrible idea. Heel kicks to, to a kidney from guard are illegal. No. No gloves. No. Um, I mean, I understand the point there. there was, there's been some suggestions that just as football has become a more dangerous version of rugby because the helmets and the pads make one feel invincible and therefore they clash into each other much harder. Um, I understand that argument, and to that extent, maybe gloves, even the small ones that they wear in MMA, um, you know, are are contributing in the same kind of way. But it just seems like winning that argument with the general public, you know, oh, it's safer. We don't have any kind of padding protected on protection on our hands, and they might be right. But how are you going to convince the public that that's true? Kicks, knees, and stomps are legal to the head of a grounded opponent. In certain particular cases, yes, I would okay with that. No, not the stomps. Stomps are just gratuitous. Um, kicks and knees to the head of a grounded opponent. In certain situations, yes, in certain situations. I believe, for example, if you shoot on someone and you get stuffed and you're still kind of on your knees, you should be able to fire one off to keep that guy honest. I believe that if guys get behind you and you put your hand on the ground to avoid getting need, um, you should be able to get need. Right, I think those are spots where you're you're where you're wide open enough. But if somebody is on the ground, I wouldn't want them being soccer kicked, for example. And so there's a lot of other scenarios that we'd have to play out and figure out. But there are, I think, some cases to allow for knees to the head of a downed opponent. Non-title fights are gi optional. I would want that in like Bellator. I wouldn't want that in um, UFC. Title fights are gi only, and I definitely wouldn't want that. I want to ask this question last week, I thought. I was asking Wonder Boy, do you see him winning the belt in the near future? And I forced if you guys watch the Joe Rogan podcast, it was rumored that he's going to be fighting Rory McDonald soon, which is one of the few guys I could see potentially giving him problems. I have to say, you know, his uh, ascension was quiet until it came on with a roar against Johnny Hendricks. 
you know, um, one of these guys who we thought highly of, but basically was like, will he ever be able to get the wrestling at a level where um, the wrestling question doesn't goes away, right? And I don't know if we have definitively, but we certainly did in that last fight. And I guess we'll see what Rory can do, or maybe Rory can, you know, tie him up in the clinch or back him up enough where he can't do all that high-flying stuff. But um, I'll say this, at a minimum, he certainly seems like a championship-caliber fighter at this point, no doubt about it. We know he's got the striking. He certainly seems to come prepared athletically. Um, doesn't get injured too, too often from what I can tell. And has certainly progressed his wrestling, his defensive wrestling, to a point where um, he is a nightmare. He's very, very difficult to do anything with. And he also feels like he's not just in that Hendricks fight, but generally he is on the larger end of uh, in terms of the frame he's got for welterweights. He is lanky. He knows how to use it. One of these guys who kind of fights long, who is long. Um, you know, you don't see a lot of that in MMA and he does it do a different style, but that style really inculcated in him the need to maximize the reach that he's got. I mean, he would do that no matter what, but with the length that he's got, he can really, I mean, catch you from afar and then get out of the way. He's got a lot more work to do to be defensively responsible in that regard. And he still mostly does it. Uh, it's pretty impressive. So We'll see how far he can go, but if you're asking, is he a guy who deserves to be, irrespective of his next fight, where he gets placed and who he gets placed against, is he a championship-caliber fighter in the welterweight division in 2016? I mean, unequivocally, sure, yes. This is an interesting question that I saw earlier and I hadn't thought much about, but I guess I'll read it anyway. The downfall of the Kimura. Luke, do you see the Kimura is a dying art in high-level MMA? It seems like every attempt these days hasn't been rewarded with a submission win. Can you explain why are we seeing less and less Kimura submission wins? That's a very interesting question, and it's not something I considered much because the Kimura is still super deadly in um, submission grappling and then gi jiu-jitsu. There's still a ton of Kimuras you see all the time, or Kimura variations, right? Um, that's really interesting. It's really interesting. One of my favorite UFC finishes was Caro's uh, Kimura finish on Dave Strasser because he hit him with the Kimura sweep, held on to it, and then stepped over and and then crushed him with it. Really, really nice one. You saw a Kimura finish. Um, say whatever you want about the fight, the Husamor Palhares Kimura finish on Jake Shields, which I broke down on the uh, MMA analyst. That was a sick Kimura. I mean, that was like a, almost a textbook one, man. And frankly, if you're a big guy out there and you you roll, you know the Kimura is probably one of your favorite weapons. Um, it's a strongman move. It's one where if you're a really big, strong guy and you know certain positions, you can threaten it at least a lot. And if you can't get it, the Kimura is good to pass the side control. You know, oh, I'm stuck in half guard. Let me threaten the Kimura. They do something to address it, and you can jump out. Look how. Uh, I don't know if he got so far as to lock up the Kimura, but look at how Donald Cerrone was able to attack the forearm of uh, Oliveira, get him to address it, and then he moved to mount. Again, I can't remember if that's exactly a Kimura, but that kind of that kind of sequence, that kind of attack, is very common in Kimura attacks. Your guys will be in cross body in some kind of way, still locked up in some form of guard. Uh, you threaten the other side of the body, you threaten with the Kimura. They do something in their positional. Um, space to address it, which opens up other passing po lanes and possibilities. As for why we see less of it, well, I, I think you see a lot of it, but it's never from any way you're ever really taught to do Kimuras. You see a lot of guys locking up Kimuras when someone's behind them and they're standing and they can't break their hands apart and face and turn them. So what do they do? They lock up that double wrist lock. Um, 
And there are ways to escape doing that. It's just very, very difficult, and not a lot of guys are good at it. So I think that's one part of it. You're just seeing a lot of really bad attempts at it. You're seeing a lot of attempts that, from the moment they begin, the rate of success is low percentage right off the bat. So even if they get it, just statistically speaking, in that scenario, very few guys ever may you know push it in any kind of direction that's productive. That's the first problem. The second problem is I think a lot – I mean, we've talked about how, how you know – how much is Mount a lost art in modern MMA? There are very few guys with really just just um, tremendous mounts. Um, and I think side control is a lot like that. In no gi, it's hard to control someone from side control. It really, really is. It's very, very hard, especially in these lighter weight classes. These guys can buck and move their hips and create space to get a leg inside or roll to their base or roll to their base and stand and face away. Kimura requires, um, you know, you can get a Kimura from guard. You can do a half guard Kimura on the opposite side, but then you got to get them to commit that weight to one side. And that can be kind of difficult to do in MMA context where a lot of guys don't use that knee shield beyond any kind of defensive purposes. So that's kind of hard to do. You can get a Kimura from full guard, but that's, you know, you just don't see a lot of guys trying that kind of thing. A lot of guard submissions like that anymore. Most guys from guard are going to want to sit up and do guillotines or sit up and stand. Um, maybe you might see an arm bar, right? Obviously, triangles are pretty common. Um, but really, the key to the Kimura in MMA is, one, either catching it in transition like Paul Harris, right, or like Caro did on Dave Strasser, you know, catching it, rolling it through, and then as you as you both land at the end of the roll, you end up in a position where you can automatically apply the Kimura. You don't have to start and then work to apply the Kimura. Um, you just don't see a lot of those these days. If you're not going to do that, if you're going to, if you want to just, you know, control someone so that then you can apply the Kimura, um, you know, you need to have your weight on top of them, controlling them. You got to have arms isolated. You got to be really good about risk control. You just got, it's tough. It's tough. Side control has to be one of your dominant or, you know, at least, at least half guard on top has to be a really dominant, dominant space for you. Matt Hughes used to be really good at this kind of thing, sitting up Kimura's like this. Remember he like how he was crushing Joe Riggs with it? Um, just it's it's a bit of a lost art, man. Guys are very, very – they're much better about scrambling than they used to be. And I feel like top, top side side control and top side half guard, guys just don't put in the same kind of smothering pressure that they used to. So it's both that – the defensive side's gotten better. It's also that the offensive side is kind of stalemated or even got a little bit worse in terms of the kind of pressure people apply. But the Kimura is awesome. And you also used to see, you know, guys would lock up the Kimura to expect a roll, and then you could transition into the arm. You see that all the time in, in um, sport jiu-jitsu. Lock up a Kimura grip only to go for an arm bar. But, you know, the Kimura grip is a strong, powerful grip. For folks who may not realize it, you know, people go for it in those defensive situations I was talking about with wrestling, where if I get my hand like this, man, I'm telling you, I'm grabbing your I'm grabbing your wrist and then I'm grabbing my own wrist. Man, I'm telling you, that is a very, very powerful grip. It has this intoxicating feel to it because when you lock it up, you can see, you can feel this other person. Um, you can feel them struggle with that. You can, you can feel them not be able to get their hand away, even with the gi. You might go up against somebody who you grab in a deep chunk of their lapel and they just grip breaking you the whole time. You get that, you lock up that Kimura grip, they can't just yank it out. It's a really, really, really powerful grip. Um, but if you don't know what else to do with it, 
it's hard to know what else to go, especially the guy underneath is moving like, you know, moving the rest of his body to just negate application of it. I will say, you know, uh, I, I, the Kimura is awesome. I think one of the coolest things I've ever seen is that you see a lot in submission grappling, not so much at the black belt level, but maybe purple and brown guys will lock up a Kimura um, when there someone's already passed them, which, you know, in MMA, you're never supposed to do, right? What happened when Patricio Pitbull tried to do that? Or excuse me, what happened when Daniel Strauss tried to do that on Patricio Pitbull Friday? He lost his fight. What happened when Ryan Bader tried to lock up Kimura with no guard? Didn't go so well for him, well for him against Anthony Johnson. But there's a way you could do it in submission grappling where someone passes and you lock up the far side Kimura. You actually roll to the opposite side in a full circle, and then you come around and take their back. Kenny Cornelius has a video on this. Um, a lot of guys do it. You just never see that kind of stuff in MMA. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. The, there are, the Kimura is by no means dead in jiu-jitsu at all. There's so many things you can do with it and from it. But in MMA, where a lot of guys have a lot of, you know, you're just trying to hold a tempest in the teapot when you're on top inside control, it can be very, very difficult. Uh, next for Bisping. After his win Saturday night, who is next for Bisping? Rockhold Weidman winner, Jacare Belfour winner, Machida Hendo winner, Musasi. Um, you know, Musasi seems like a good choice. Machida Hendo winner. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing a rematch with Henderson. Uh, Jacare Belfort winner. That one seems a little bit closer to a title shot. And then Rockhold Wyman winner. I suppose they might give Bisping that. And, and like none of those are bad. The Jacare Belfort one doesn't feel quite natural, but they're all pretty good, man. Someone says they would like prefer to see Jacare versus Rockhold. Um, Bisping fight Nick Diaz, right? He called out Nick Diaz on Twitter. Y'all saw that as well. So he's got some options. That win on Saturday really, really garnered him. Uh, a lot of positive favor. And let me just say one thing about that win that I thought some of the fan response was kind of appalling. Um, as you may know, um, when I'm live blogging the fight, I initially scored it three rounds, three, four, five for silver rounds, one and two for Bisping. Upon review, um, without live blogging, uh, I watched the fight three times. All three times I had no problem scoring round four for Bisping. So in the end, one, two, four for Bisping, three, five for Silva. We can get into debates about whether round three should have been a 10, eight under current Scoring criteria, that's really not the case. But I understand your point. If it, it should be. Okay, we can have that debate separately. Um, and I try to explain to people, you know, watching a fight while you're live blogging and trying to judge is like driving while texting. You're not, maybe you don't have an accident, but it's not the best way. You need to judge. You need to judge openly. And of course, when you judge correctly and unobstructed, um, you know, without any obstructed view or distraction, you might get a different result on a rounds or overall. And of course that was the case for me, which I don't think is in any way controversial. I think most people should understand that. Um, but I saw some people being like, Oh, you're being too friendly to Michael Bisping with this win. And I'm thinking to myself on what planet does that make sense? That seems to me, I don't even know what you want me to say. Like, did he go out there and dominate Anderson Silva? Not really. Okay. I suppose there's a level of, criticism to be made there um he didn't finish him though he got kind of close in that second round you know hurt him a little bit but to me um there's this constant need among some of Bisping's detractors or the more ambivalent among the mixed martial arts community to undersell Bisping's accomplishments um because they are often not flashy and they happen in the aggregate 
which is to say, if you look at the body of work he's contributed, it's obviously impressive. If you go fight by fight, he can be hot or cold, um, depending on where he's fallen short at. But um, there are people being like, well, you know, the one was good, but he's not really all that great. You were a little, you were, I think the word was like, I was, I was effusive with praise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, I don't know what else to say. If you watch enough fights long enough, you see somebody do that, what they did for 25 minutes, the consistent, difficult application of fundamentals against a guy who was very tricky, maybe was offensively hesitant, but certainly very tricky, longer than him, um, has more offensive tools than him and more dynamic ways than him. And for Bisping to shut that guy down while he applies his very you know, simple, traditional, but highly effective game. And then to be more offensive in the very round to be the, excuse me, not more offensive, the most offensive in the very round after he got dropped like a sack of potatoes is incredibly impressive. It's incredibly, it is a testament to an un indefatigable will. And let me say one more thing about Bisping that I feel like needs to get said. And I'm so sick and tired of people like not giving him his due because he's not flashy in, in certain ways. This is so ridiculous. Do you know how many fighters would have been traumatized psychologically by what Dan Henderson did to Michael Bisping? That was a UFC 100 to this day, the most purchased UFC pay-per-view ever. Maybe the most watched UFC event ever. He was in one of the three marquee fights that night, and he got his lights shut out not only in a, in a uh, medically dangerous way, in a psychologically scarring kind of way, an internationally embarrassing kind of way. And the guy rebounded. Now, you contrast that with the kind of win that Ronda, or excuse me, the kind of loss that Ronda Rousey had, and I understand her positioning. I am in no way judging her for her results and the way she feels. They seem to me entirely human, but she got straight up traumatized by what Holly Holm did to her. Michael Bisping, if he wanted to, if he was just a shade weaker, could have, be, could have succumbed to that kind of thinking as well. But he didn't. And every time he came up short in a split decision loss, and every time he got stopped with strikes, he never stopped running his mouth, and he never stopped believing that he was capable of more. Whatever else you want to say about Michael Bisping, he was not offensively hesitant. He took command of that fight the, the vast majority of the time. And for a guy to have suffered that kind of loss and to show no real psychological scars that impact athletic performance is a miracle. It is a miracle. You take it for granted because guys like Michael Bisping make it look easy. Let me assure you, it is not that easy. Exhibit A, Ronda Rousey, and many, many other guys. David Loazzo against Rich Franklin. Guys who can sometimes take, pro, you know, it is worse when you take a really long, prolonged beating. But Ronda Rousey didn't make it outside of two rounds. When did Michael Bisping get stopped by old Dan Henderson? I believe that was in the second round, too. Let's see. He was getting, you know, I don't think it was a beatdown in that same kind of way, but it wasn't good. And that knockout was vicious. When was that? Let's see. Yeah, round two. 320 of round two. And that was a title weight eliminator. You know what he did after losing to Dan Henderson? He came back and he stopped Dennis Kang with strikes. Michael Bisping doesn't get nearly the kind of credit that he deserves because his game is a little bit meat and potatoes-ish. But it's a it's a Wagyu beef steak, and it's, you know, <laughs> I don't know who has great potatoes. I guess Idaho potatoes, whatever. That's what that is. 
it, it, you know, I, I can't believe that people have the audacity to say, well, you know, you're just a little too kind. It was a workmanlike performance. Yeah, against Anderson Silva, who admittedly is a lot older, but is still a, a, a super tricky opponent. And to do that at age 37 after all the setbacks he suffered, including major, major, vicious, brutal, widely known and, and viewed knockouts, and you're up here talking like he should just be fine, like he just lost a game of tic-tac-toe, lesser fighters, including guys who you think very highly of, would never be able to recover from something like that. We never talk about Michael Bisping's resilience here. We always talk about the fact, well, he sort of stayed relevant. He stayed relevant because he's ironclad here. He has had belief in himself when you have dismissed him, and I have dismissed him time and time and time and time again. So if I'm out there praising Michael Bisping for showing what appears to be virtually no psychological effect from a knockout that would have potentially ended the career psychologically, of, of very good fighters you respect, but maybe aren't as mentally tough as him. Fine. Guilty as charged. Say whatever you want. I'll never take that back ever, ever. We don't ever give Michael Bisping the credit for that kind of thing. And yeah, there are other guys who've shown that kind of resiliency. Vanderlei Silva would comes to mind guys who are just old war horses like Melvin Manoff comes to mind, although he's a little bit hesitant at this point, but there have been a lot of guys who can't hang like that at all. A lot of guys can't even get into the game for much less than that who you think are tough. So, you know, sorry if I think highly of Michael Bisping this far into his career, just getting in Anderson Silva's face, backing him up, landing on him repeatedly, and not that in and of itself is remarkable, and then doing all of that after all of the setbacks, all of the injuries, all of the age. Look at his eye. It's a, it's a show. And having a brutal knockout, you've got Nash, you've got Ronda Rousey crying on national TV. You got Michael Bisping giving the finger to Anderson Silva. So you you keep underrating him, and you keep telling yourself that eh, he's just whatever. He's okay. No, no, there's no need to really praise it because he didn't do a five forty kick. Come on, man. True false. McGregor pops for banned substance, promptly giving birth to Mystic Diaz. That would be a show, but I don't find that very likely. I'll say false. Jones versus DC ends in the first round. False. Luke Rockhold jumps up and fights Jones. That might that might happen. Weidman loses his next two. I'll say false, but he might. He's definitely. Oh, I mean, I don't know if he's definitely, but I think he's going to lose his next one. Wonderboy wins the belt in 2016. I'll say true just for fun. Woodley gets his shot and loses. I will say true. UFC 200 will bust. I don't know what will bust means. I mean, will be a bust? No. False. Luke, who is the biggest hottie in MMA? And why is it Anastasia Yankova? All right. Uh, Nick Diaz versus Michael Bisping. How would you see that matchup going? Do you think they would be a favorite? It seems like they have similar strengths for striking. Bisping has better wrestling, and Diaz has better BJJ. No, I think that the consistent application of the jab of Bisping and then backing up angling. That would just be a big problem for Nick. Nick would get his licks in, you know, and if Nick could back him up, he could do a lot. I, w I think that'd be a much closer fight. I think Nick's a stylistically just fits a little bit better against Bisping than, than Silva might, at least the way Silva fought that time anyway. Um, but, um, but yeah, Bisping should win something like that. 
But, you know, he's not all that good. I mean, he can only beat Anderson Silva and probably be favored to beat Nick Diaz, but he's not that good. He's not really worthy of praise. You guys fawn over Diaz, as well you should. And I would definitely favor Bisping to beat him. But Bisping, you know, he's not that good. He's just, you know, whatever. You should get in, say a few nice things about him, and move on. You're completely out of your mind. True, false. Conor McGregor will never fight at 145 again. That's false. He may take a super fight here, there, and again. Carlos Condit will retire in 2016. I will say true. Again, Tyron Woodley. Uh, Al Wickers is a bad referee. He is a complicated one. Oh, this one didn't get a wreck. I'll come back to it. Al Wickers is a bad referee. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, Cejudo's title shot is at least a year too soon. I mean, it is, but that, with that division, what other options do they really have? I, I agree that it's not ideal, but... I don't know. I don't know what else you do to keep that 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 belt moving. I, I, it's a tough call. UFC's in a tough spot there, so I kind of understand it. Uh, this one's from uh, Josh Nason. It's a great, great question here. Bellator is getting a free pass on the amount of shows they have. With the glut of UFC shows in recent years, has been a much discussed conversation point. I think it's time to do the same with Bellator. I agree. They are fighting up. A, they are finishing up a three week, three event stretch in which the amount of notable results is going to be minimal. Considering the non-cops viewership numbers they get for the B-shows, is the Bjorn Rebney legacy casino contracts the only reason they continue to avoid doing less shows, but ones with more impact up and down the card? So I, I don't know exactly. I, as I mentioned before, I have been told um, with um, by people who would know for sure that they are still beholden to some of the, the dates uh, and contracts that Bjorn Rebney signed for some of these smaller places, the Windstar Casino, which is where Friday's event is going to be held. But you have... Beltor 149, then you had uh, Beltor 150, where the main event fell out, and then you have Beltor 151, and 151 has Darian Caldwell versus Joe Warren this Friday. That's a legit fight by anybody's measurement. That's a super legit fight. I don't know why they're doing this many shows. I know the one, I know, let's state a couple things. Number two, or number one, I should say, the ratings for Bellator 150, they're like, what, 730, 750,000? That's way above what I thought it was going to be. I thought it would jump right back down to less than 500, 600K, somewhere in the 500-plus range, and it was not. It was 200,000 more than I thought it was going to be. So let's go ahead and state that. There was, I think, a Bellator 149 bump that pushed it up because people were like, well, Czech Congo was on the card, and Czech Congo has traditionally drawn – well for them but it wasn't promoted hardly at all that main event was the i mean not that the main event was promoted heavily either but um congo was very much an afterthought i know lots of guys who are hardcore fans who didn't even know he was on the card so i wouldn't really attribute it to that it seems much more likely that the week after the kimbo dada stuff is the thing that's going to carry it over so fine it worked in that sense a little bit but i don't know if that's going to carry over until this friday because if folks tuned in the following friday after kimbo dada it's not like they got a lot of awesome action you know, they got Bellator's more legit fighters, that's true, but not like Bellator's best. Um, and since, especially since that main event fell out. Now, again, you're going to get Darian Call. Let me look at the Bellator 150 card here because it's more than that. There's another. I think Bubba Jenkins is fighting Goichi Yamauchi. I believe that's right. Bellator 151, excuse me. And Czech Congo 1. Yeah, I guess David Rickles and Kendall Grover on there, but not against any names that anybody knew. 151 has Warren versus Caldwell, Fernando Gonzalez. You remember him? Remember, uh, may remember him from the Dynamite shows. Yamauchi versus Jenkins, and then Joe Timinglo versus Sirwan Kakai. That's an okay card. Uh, it's not great. 
Um, there's two interesting fights on there. The Jenkins-Yamauchi fight and Warren Caldwell, I think, are great fights. I'm really interested in those. The rest, I could give or take. Um, and then Neiman Gracie's on the prelims. But So this is my point. Like, I don't know why they're doing so many shows, but if you're doing three shows back-to-back-to-back to back to back and you can't justify... Let's see what the ratings come out for Bill 151, but if they're less than 600,000, then you clearly are... You clearly wasted an opportunity. If Warren versus Caldwell can't pull more than the station average, then what was the point of doing it other than you had to in that particular way? Uh, we've talked about the fact that if you're going to do these big shows, man, make it worth it. Make it worth it to everybody. And if that means you got some dry weeks, well, it means you got some dry weeks. But I think fans, I think what the lesson of 2015 was number one, fans will tune into more MMA than we think they will. I think, you know, certainly the, the, the saturation claims that I make, I still stand by a lot of them, but I, you know, the appetite for MMA fans is pretty wide. Okay, fair enough. But I think the bigger point is that if you punctuate with huge events, fans are very forgiving of some of the lesser ones. It's when the big ones aren't all that big and there's not much of a separation between that and the little ones. Now, there are a lot of factors that go into that. Do you have the stars to pull that off? But you know, if you got 3.3 million people to watch the Kimbo versus Dada fight, um, that's that's your moment to shine. That's your moment to shine. And maybe, you know, I understand that part of this whole conversation is just about raising awareness for Bellator. But it's if you are you just trying to raise awareness for the brand name? Or are you trying to raise awareness for the brand name and then get give people a clear sense of what the product is? Because at this point, if you have to ask yourself, what is the Bellator product? Um, it is an alternative to the UFC that has some of the best fighters in the world, but not many, many with a bigger name and it's fights that are fun designed to draw on the casual audience. That's what that is. Okay, fine. That's what you are. That's great. But I don't, it's not like separating things out is a clear ratings winner. It's not clear to me that putting Warren versus Caldwell two weeks after Kimbo versus Dada, um, is the optimal way to make this product succeed in the way that you envision to grow the talent from the ground up. We'll see what the ratings come out to. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a good way to do it because it comes before UFC 196 and there'll be buzz about it. I guess we'll wait and see. And if it is, I'll get in this chat next week and I'll say I was wrong. Just like I said, I was wrong about the ratings for Bellator 150. But part of me just feels like they're not, they're not as open to the over, open uh, oversaturation argument because MMA doesn't hinge on their success in the same way that it does for UFC. I mean, you, I don't know what happens to MMA. If, for example, if UFC goes away, it seems to me um, a lot of this goes away. Uh, the industry just becomes less than what it used to be. I don't think this is likely or anything. I'm just saying if Bellator goes away, that's not good, but it's not nearly as consequential as if the UFC went away. So arguments about whether they're presenting their product in the optimal way is I think a much more important debate to be had, but, but certainly I don't understand the need for doing three shows in three weeks, unless this third show somehow does is a rating surprise and is a hit. True false. Conor McGregor will never fight again. in 145 already been over this. Carlos Condo. Will, oh, oh, we already went over this. Jeez. Uh, Luke, I don't know if you play video games, but do you have any thoughts on the upcoming game, EA UFC 2? I do not. Um, There's been a big marketing campaign for the game. All I know are the hilarious glitch videos. Do you think these projects are profitable to the UFC? I'm sure on some level it's profitable. I mean, they're certainly not splitting in the revenue with their fighters, right? They can't be losing that much. Um, 
but I don't follow video games enough to know whether this franchise is particularly profitable. All right. Connor jumping around weight classes. Look, can you foresee any issues with Connor moving up a full two weight classes for one fight or two and then eventually having to go back down to featherweight to defend his belt? Given how hard the cut is on Connor, even taking into account his youth and year end high level fit year round high level fitness, I feel he like could run into some problems. Yeah, he's not gonna be able to jump. I mean, if you're jumping weight classes in boxing, they typically it's it's both gradual and then punctuated up and down. So you might start at, you know, let's say somewhere in the 30s, and then you eventually will take a fight at 141, then go back down to the 130s, and eventually you'll stay at 141 for a while, then eventually you'll jump to 147, then you might go back to 141. So you see the slope is kind of going in the same direction, or, you know, a, a identifiable direction, but then there'll be bumps up and down. It's not, it's not this way. It's more like this way kind of thing. Um, you know, so we'll see. I mean... If he really is committed to 155 and 170, it would take a it would take it would be a lot for him to get down to 155 just in terms of timing and preparation and and everything else. But we'll see how this fight goes. But yeah, I don't think uh, if 170 really is in the picture, I mean really in the picture, I don't think 145 is. If it's just 145 and 155, 170 is really not in the picture. That to me seems much more manageable. Um, being that 10 pounds away. Uh, is doable, but being 145 to 170 is simply not. It's just not. It can be done, right? But he would need months to get there. Months. What would be your finishing move if you were a video game character? Um, what would be my finishing move if I was a video game character? I would just lecture someone until their ears bleed, <laughs> which is almost what I do now. Uh, does McGregor fight at the UFC 200? Lawler for the welterweight title, RDA for the lightweight title, Edgar for the featherweight, or other GSP maybe. I think if GSP comes back, it might be him, but if it's not, um, I'm thinking RDA because they kind of already made that. They can sell that. They have, you know, they have. Um, now Connor has ammunition to talk about him. So there's a salesmanship angle to it. It's still as from a meritocracy standpoint, as viable as ever. Right. I think we can all agree that to that, especially if he just dusts Nate Diaz. Uh, so for me, it's going to delay the welterweight thing. Plus, you know, they might want to put Steven Thompson on there and they may want to have, you know, Connor do his lightweight thing while Lawler defends the title. Maybe if GSP comes back for that, so they can have two title fights on there or, or whatever the case they want to do. So I, I don't think the welterweight thing is likely, but I don't rule it out. I think the likeliest one is probably RDA. Uh, fickle fans. I cannot stand it when people say, quote, this guy or girl was just afraid of X. So that explains their behavior. This is so dismissive of an often lifetime of accomplishments on the part of the fighter. Is there going to be any point where the fans of MMA will accept that guys just seem to get hurt from time to time? No. Or that they don't want to simply roll the dice on changing 10 plus years of work in two weeks? No, there will never be a point where people are understanding of that. Unless the people who they are fans of can make this case effectively in the media, which is hard to do, but possible. But until such a time, no. 
Um, belt or kickboxing, does the brand have the potential to be bigger than glory as glory shown? There isn't a huge market for kickboxing. Um, we'll see. I don't really know what to make of belt or kickboxing. I don't have an opinion one way or the other. I'm not down on it. I'm not up on it. I'm just curious to see what they're going to do with it and what it looks like. I think in the early going, it's not going to be potentially all that big over time. It might get that way. Coker's going to promote it in the way he has promoted, uh, Bellator. Um, I didn't see any attendance figures for the glory show in Chicago. It looked like the lights were down pretty heavily in the, uh, arena, but I don't know. Um, I don't know what their figures were. They've got a better deal now with ESPN, but I don't, I don't know exactly how much live exposure on the channels. It's really going to get them over time. It's some alive on ESPN too, but I'm my understanding is not all, um, you know, I just think Scott Coker glory is going to have a much better roster, right? By far. No doubt about it. And the people who love glory and the people who work glory, they love kickboxing. Um, but I think Scott Coker is just a better promoter than those guys. Just, you know, um, he's been doing it longer. He knows more effectively. And, you know, he's going to do it in a way that may not be pleasing to kickboxing fans. I think we need to understand that. Glory is going to have a vision that's a little bit more, well, a lot more, you know, sporting, competitive, best versus best. They love their tournaments, right? And tournaments are great. They're a hit for the most part. Um, well, in certain ways anyway. Um, but it's just two competing visions. You know, Glory is going to be very much sport first, ranked guys, fighting ranked guys, not a lot of gimmicks, man, virtually no gimmicks about what they're doing, uh, which isn't to say they don't make mistakes or they don't have their own oddball fight from time to time. Every every promoter goes through that. But it's going to be very much like, you know, Rebney promoted MMA versus Coker promoted MMA and what that looks like and what that does for the product. Whether or not that'll make the Bellator brand bigger than Glory, you know, I don't know. But whether that might mean that there'll be some belts or kickboxing events that, um, you know, really capture our attention in ways that maybe some glory fights haven't, I think that's very possible. You know, if they can book Mike Tyson in a gimmicky fight, um, that would do tremendous ratings. But that's something that glory would never touch because Mike Tyson's not really a credential kickboxer. Why would they go there? So, you know, look, I think it's I think it's two alternatives, right? If you like the purity of meritocracy in sport, and you want to see the best fight, the best for the most part, right? I mean, you know, Glory doesn't have a stranglehold on everyone either. There's Kun Loon out there, and guys have open contracts, and whatever the case may be. But that's generally what their product is. You're going to get that with them. And if you want something that's a little bit more off the beaten path, that's a lot of attractive women. That's what they appear to be signing. And maybe bigger names in different kinds of fights. You're going to get that with Belts or Kickboxing. And I guess they're going to try and bring up their own people as well. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, good question. Glory 27 main event. Luke, I was wondering if you could give your take on the Glory 27 main event. What are your thoughts on Al Wicker's refereeing? Was Marcus as guilty of clinching and sweeping as Levin? What did you think of Levin and his team decision to just walk out? Yeah. Yeah, I did see that. Um, boy, that was bizarre. So here's what I would say. A um, lot of different things. Do, do I understand Al Wicker's not taking one but two points from Artem Levin yes at the moment he takes the second point Marcus is this way and Levin is 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 Gable gripping with his gloves so people were saying well they clinched the same amount they definitely clinched enough that you could have warned Marcus or taken a point from Marcus as you could have taken a point from Levin but if you're asking me who clinched more it is definitely Levin clinched more overall both guys were guilty of it both guys were guilty of it to a degree you could you could take a point from both. 
but that doesn't mean they they were equally guilty. That's still Levin was doing it more. Moreover, if you go back and you watch their Glory 21 fight, Levin was doing it all the time, all the time. And for folks, I keep saying this, Glory kickboxing is not Muay Thai. There is no clinching in Glory. The only clinch you can do is a one-handed clinch. You're not even supposed to do a two-handed clinch. And if you do a one-handed clinch, you're supposed to do a one-handed clinch, throw a strike, and then let go. This this wrapping up that they're doing was so excessive on both of their parts. But over the course of that fight, it was much more, um, you know, Levin doing it. But I thought he could have warned and, and, and taken a point from Marcus when Marcus threw Levin out of the ring. So, so it's not that Levin doesn't have a point. He does. Like, they, it was just uneven who was getting the points. But both guys were guilty, but Levin was guiltier. Um, you know, Wickers, I don't know. And he took too long to wave that fight off. Once once, once Levin turned his back and was like, eh, he should have just waved it. He kind of waited and was like, fight. And then did it again, like, fight. So I think the real, the real way that, that should have been handled was both guys should have had a point taken first before Levin had a second point taken. Because maybe if both guys have one taken, we don't get to this point. But um, I also didn't think that when Levin was thrown out of the ring, that should have been an eight count. That was a mistake on Wicker's part. You know, Wicker's been refereeing a long time. But um, I don't know to what extent. I can't say for sure one way or the other. I met the guy. He has the strongest grip I think I've ever felt on a human being. Um, he's a nice guy. This was the same guy who was refereeing that bout, the amateur, essentially unregulated bout uh, in Wisconsin, where one of the guys from the Rufus Sport team was killed. So there's a question to be asked, I think, about to what extent he's been getting some refresher courses. Now, maybe he has. I don't know. Um, but I think that's something I'm wondering a little bit about. To what extent has he had to uh, maintain any kind of credentials or certification quality refereeing as his career has progressed? A lot of these guys, they get tenure and they turn into like Supreme Court justices where they don't have to you know, justify what they do all the time. They can just sort of say, well, I have tenure. I don't need to... I don't need the refresher course. I've been doing this for so long. Turns out a lot of them need a refresher course. The upcoming fight between McGregor and Diaz will show us just how much Connor's power will translate to heavier divisions. Do you agree with this statement? It'll tell us a little bit. It'll tell us as much as Nate Diaz can show us. But if Nate Diaz doesn't get hit a lot, I mean, I suspect he will, but if he doesn't get hit a lot or he knocks out McGregor in one round, that doesn't necessarily mean that McGregor didn't have big power. Again, I find this unlikely, but you never know. Uh, Mitrion and Marion Renaud's appeals. Both appealed their losses. Renaud already lost hers. Do you think Mitrion has any shot of winning his? I do not. That has nothing to do with whether or not there's merit to it. Athletic commissions are notoriously... Uh, unreliable in terms of censuring their own. So when people are like, you should go through the proper channels to have your fight challenged. Do I think Matt Mitrione has a case? Sure. Of course I do. Do I think that the result could be, should be overturned? I would like to hear more about his argument, but I'm certainly open to it. Um, do I think the commission is in any way going to listen to him? No, of course not. Also say you were the one that got to make the final call on their appeals. What would you do? Again, I would want to hear what more, what Mitrione has to say, but you know, you should be able to ask a different appeals board to look at your result that the commission made. You shouldn't have to appeal to the commission because I don't trust these commissions at all to do any kind of self-review or 
internal peer review that in any way is substantive and helpful. So this idea that like, you know, you should write a letter of appeal to the commission for what? I mean, the commission in Brazil did one once for the Drew Dober fight when it was so egregious and they had basically no choice. They were under heavy pressure and they could just make up rules because they don't have a defined code. It's one thing that these commissions are just insanely un unrealistic about, you know, um, measuring the, the value of the kind of work they're getting from their volunteers. It's another that they've also got a lot of the stuff. They've got bad rules codified that they have to follow. You know, they can't change the result of someone's judging unless they can show that there was, you know, it's, it's, there's a few criteria, but none of them have to do with your decision was a dumb ass decision. It was, it often, I mean, there's some states that will do that. Uh, Jersey's done that, for example, I think after a Paul Williams bout. But what most state commissions will tell you is, if we can't determine that there was an arith you know, arithmetic error that would change the result, like who won, who lost, or some reason to believe that there was some collusion or a score was given for reasons unrelated to what happened in the bout, right? Some sort of like uh, unethical act. What they basically say is whatever these jokers saw counts because they'll come up with some unbelievably cockamamie excuse about what they saw, which we saw in the Marion Renault fight. 30-27, Ashley Evan Smith over Renault is it, it is it is <laughs> it is comically inept. Comically inept. Someone who looks at fights and doesn't know what they're looking at. And I think that's a lot more common than fans want to admit amongst fans, amongst judges, amongst refs, to an extent among journalists, even among fighters to some extent, believe it or not. Now, for different reasons with fighters, fighters have a certain bias, right? Teammate, friend, person. Um, it's less about what a technique is or isn't doing. It's more a matter of interpretation. And theirs are usually a little bit more grounded than anyone else's. But even they are not... Are not exempt from making you know outlandish conclusions but you know 3027 ashley evan smith over marion renault is the kind of scorecard that's like you know what that is that's like saying um that's like going to get a haircut and saying um you know i would like you to just shave my head with a one guard and do nothing else and then they go in there and then they write, you know, um, I like to fart on the back of your head with the razor. That's what I mean. You'd be like, I didn't ask for this. At, this is so not what you're supposed to be doing. Or, you know, just shaving your eyebrows or something. It's just somebody who does not know what to do. Period. Hey, I need you to drive down the street and they crash into the first tree they find. That's what that is. Hey, I need you to go pick up my dry cleaning. And instead they set fire to your house. That's what that is. And yet, what did that commission say? That's just what they saw. Well, I'm afraid to tell you that you have judges who need to see an ophthalmologist and then retire from doing this forever because they can't do it. I would, I would love Truly, I mean this. If I could start a podcast, how good is this idea? If I could start a podcast where I got to talk to judges about the dumb ass decisions they've made in fights, 
Like if I could just talk to Adelaide Bird, you know, and just go through. And I bet if you heard them explain, what I bet you would say is there'd be a couple of instances where you'd be like, okay, I can kind of sort of see that. What I bet there'd be a lot more of is you putting your hand over your mouth because you could not believe the words coming out of their mouth. I bet you. There's a reason they don't talk to the media. There's a good reasons and there's some bad ones. But one of them is they just don't want to have to answer to anybody. They're there volunteering their time. The commission is not paying them a whole lot. Let's not really rock this boat. How about this? Let's just not hold MMA if you're the UFC in Pennsylvania until you un-F that operation. Because if you're expecting the promoter to promote at the highest level and the fighters to fight at the highest level, you as officiators need to officiate at the highest level. And in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, they can't do that. They can't even officiate at a level below the highest level. They can't even officiate at two levels below the highest level. And they've put in a system to make sure they never have to be accountable for their incompetence. So enjoy that, Pittsburgh, and enjoy that, Marion Renault even though you shouldn't have to. Alpha Cat, if she returns anytime soon, who do you think she should fight? If Rousey returns, I'd love to see a rematch, maybe a fight against, uh, maybe uh, the winner of Nunez Shevchenko. That'd be kind of fun, you know? Uh, meritocracy. Lately, it seems a lot of people are complaining that the UFC is based less and less on merit, and of course, by merit, they mean skill or ranking. But isn't the UFC the ultimate meritocracy? The fighters that attract the most people should get paid the most. I mean, I guess, I'm not sure, like, why fans say that. I mean, that sounds intuitively right, but that's also what management says about pay. And management doesn't have an incentive to pay the way fighters would like them to pay. They have a very different incentive. But okay, I'll, I mean, it's mostly, it's in, mostly correct. The only reason they get paid in the first place is because people want to watch them compete. That is not true. I could be the best thumb wrestler in the world and spend all my blood, sweat, and tears into it, but if nobody wants to watch it, I don't get paid. Okay, but that's not what's happening. I keep making this argument all the time about the uh, fight. I don't know how long. I'm going to keep saying it until people realize it's true. This is one of the few things I'm certain is true, which I'm, which I'm sure people are going to disagree with because that's the nature of the internet. But this this is true. This argument's like, well, people only pay to see Conor McGregor, Rousey, and a handful of others. Well, sort of, right? That's not really true, is it? Because they pay much more in much more identifiable ways, live gate receipts, pay-per-view sales. Maybe we could see that through fight kit sales or something else like that, right? You know, you have McGregor and, and Jones, let's say, and, and Rousey and Kane or something, and then everyone's just it's a drop-off after that. You could say, oh, look, anecdotally, you can kind of tell that like there's, there's reason to believe these guys are the only ones who sell and everyone else is just kind of there for along the ride. I'm not dumb enough to think that people want to see Daniel Omelanchuk um, tomorrow fight for the title or that people care a lot um, and going to pay a lot of money to see him. But it's not about Daniel Omilanchuk or Young Bang or Tarek Safadine. It's about those guys as a group. And what turns out when you package the product, the pay-per-view is sold not merely because you're selling two fights like or four fights like a boxing pay-per-view. You're selling an entire card, number one, they have value there. If they have no value, cut them, put on the four fights and see what happens to your pay-per-view sales and your product. Turns out a lot would happen. Number two, if you're going to put them on Fox Sports 1, and the majority of the product virtually is on Fox Sports 1 at this point, you are selling ads against them. Fox Sports 1 is stretching out their, their broadcast time like a rubber band 
because otherwise no one's watching that channel. And when they do watch, because UFC is on, because UFC is a big ratings hit for them, they try and pack in as much ad inventory as possible. They've got FarmersOnly.com and Fram and Metro PCS and whatever the hell they got they got going on. They pack all that in there. They pack all that in there because there's enough content there where they can sell. Again, if you're only selling the top guys, then cut everybody else and see what happens to your product. you got Fight Pass subscribers. They are selling content against those guys at the bottom of the card. We need you at the bottom of the card so we can fill content here. These are all facts. This idea that the UFC, these guys, you can come or go. Individually, they don't have a lot of power. That's true. They don't need to see Daniel Omilanchuk or Tarek Safadine or whatever. And again, Tarek is much higher rated than than. Daniel Melanchuk, but I mean, you know, relatively anonymous, very good guy. Um, but, but together, those groups have tremendous value to the UFC. If every non-top tank, top 10, how about this? Top, if everyone ranked nine and down stopped fighting for the UFC on a strike, that would cripple their product. It would fundamentally alter it like that. They sell ads against those guys. They need those guys to fulfill their Fox contracts. They owe Fox content. What happens when all those guys decide they don't want to fight? They literally can't stage the events they need to stage. So this idea that like, well, it's, you know, McGregor's the one who pulls in the money. McGregor gets paid because he is a special case. No doubt about it. I hope he gets rich. That's fine. But these idea that, you know, no one goes to see uh, who's on one of these cards. Let me uh, look up UFC 196. Does it make the point a little more illustrative? Because no one's there to see Chaz Skelly versus Darren Elkins. You know where Chaz Skelly versus Darren Elkins is? It's on Fox Sports 1. You know who cares about that? Fox Sports 1. You know why? Because they need that two-hour block to make some cash. They are reliant on it. Hugely. You see that SBJ article? Sports and... Um, on Fox Sports saying more layoffs are coming. Yeah, you keep telling me that Brandon Thatch versus Sierra Bahadurazar doesn't have any value to. No one really, they don't sell any fight. They don't, no one pays hardly any money at the gate. Oh, really? You know who pays a lot of money to see Brandon Thatch, that Thatch and Sierra Bahadurazar fight? Metro PCS. You know who pays a lot of money to see Eric Silva fight Nordy and Taleb? Fram. You know who pays a lot of money to see Vitor Miranda fight Marcelo Guimaraes? Hmm? Nas, just go through the list. Those guys, they're real interested in seeing them fight. What is your favorite fight on the undercard of UFC 196? Great question. Let's go through this on the undercard. So I, the undercard is defined as anything, I think, less than the main, certainly the main and the co-main. So let's go, I would say... We have Gian Vellante versus Ilir Latifi. No. Corey Anderson versus Tom Lawler. No. Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko. It's probably going to be that one. Uh, or Diego Sanchez versus Jim Miller. One of those two. Herb Dean. Over the past few years, Herb Dean has come across a lot of criticism. Since the second Baral Faber fight, it seems that he's been part of a lot of controversial fights and moments. Do you feel like he's regressed as a referee or some of the criticism unwarranted? I don't think he's regressed. People forget the, there's a famous fight that he, I mean, epically botched and no one ever talks about. 
It is. Oh, was it? Um, I'm trying to see here. I thought Jason High was involved. God, what was the guy in World Series of Fighting? Uh, Ryan Ford, I believe was his name. He was involved in a fight that was scandalous. Oh, right. It was the Pete Spratt fight. Go back and watch his refereeing of the Pete Spratt fight. Ryan Ford versus Pete. I mean, we're talking epically bad refereeing. Unconscionably bad. So no, he's definitely not gotten worse. He's gotten much, much better. I don't I don't I, I don't I mean I'm not saying look, he, he said some things yesterday about why he didn't stop the Bisping Silva fight in the third round, which I thought made a lot of sense. Um I generally find him to be a good referee. I generally trust him to do the right thing. He also made excellent call. You know, he made a really good call in like the Frank Mir Tim Sylvia fight, right? Really, really, really good call. Um, he's made a lot of good calls. Bad calls always stand out more than good calls because bad calls we feel like change the result of fights or you know, make us feel like the result that we got is somehow illegitimate. Good calls rarely do that. So they stand out more. Um, but he did say something about that Weidman Rockhold fight. He because I guess Ariel asked him yesterday, you know, why didn't you stop it when it was pretty clear nothing good was going to happen to him? He's taking a beating. And what Dean said was like, I didn't see him quit in the fight, which I believe, and that the they were short on time. You know, if he can make it to the bell, I'm not going to end it, which I think is the right way to think about it. Um, although there's a case to be made that that's not what the rules call for because you're not supposed to pay attention to the clock. But I'm glad that he ignores that. But when he was like, yeah, you know, the part everyone's really complaining about, you know, there was only a few seconds left. Uh, no. No, Rock Hall was in Mount nearly a minute. I remember doing, you can go back and look at the, the Monday morning analyst. There's a point where Wyman was getting beat on real bad, and there were 30 seconds left in the round. 30 seconds left of a torrential downpour, basically, of punishment. He had every cause to stop that fight. Now, I'm not complaining about that because I thought that the right guy won, and what wound up happening was, as a result of Dean's non-stoppage, there was no quarter for Weidman to say the referee interfered, which I just don't want guys saying in title fights. You know, one of the reasons why the Holm versus Rossi fight is so great is because you can't say anything about that fight. I mean, you know, the re- <laughs> no referee intervention, judges didn't botch it, no one got kicked in the groin, lost their mouthpiece, nothing. You just got beat, period. End of story, clean. Um, and... um by Dean's non-stoppage in that fight, you kind of achieved that result a different way. But he was entirely justified in stopping that third fight. For him to be like, well, there's just a few seconds left. No, no. At the 30-second mark, he is still taking a whooping. And he let that go for 30 seconds more. Come on, man. Also, people don't understand how what like bad refere bad refereeing or like lesser refereeing. Like Herb Dean is an elite referee, period. Like whatever mistakes you think he makes, the body of work generally indicates to me he is an elite referee. But elite refereeing is so difficult that there's going to be these standout moments where they're going to make some tough calls. They don't have the benefit of instant replay in a lot of places, and even places where they have instant replay, they don't have instant replay like you have in the NFL, where you can like certifiably correct a bad call. You know, 
Uh, they don't have the ability to do that. Uh, you know, football, American football starts and stops so often that referees have this, you know, and, and through the use of visual technology, they have the ability to really get the call right. So the sport is very much hinged on accuracy of the referees at every interval. You know, you want, remember when those scabs crossed the picket line uh, for the NFL when they wouldn't work with the, uh, the, the referee union, the umpire union, whatever it was? And those guys were just effing up game after game after game. You see what happens. Like whatever complaints you might have about refereeing and the unfairness of calls, um, it, it, it's a hard. It's hard to look good doing it. It's even harder to look good doing it when you can't really revisit bad calls um, the majority of the time, or when you're not under any kind of pressure from an athletic commission to do anything else because they desperately need you um, to do the job, right? So there's that, but if you, I'll, I'll say this forever and ever. If you guys have never been to one of your local amateur shows or a local promoter show, go go look at go look at what refereeing looks like a few levels down. You will be horrified. <laughs> you will be horrified. You'll be horrified at what you see. Fact. You'll you'll look at that and be like, "Damn, Herb Dean is amazing." Sergey Heratonov's next opponent. I don't know what they're going to do for him. Thoughts on Silva's corner. Looking back at the fight, Bisping's corner was giving him very technical instructions while Anderson's corner was was giving vague advice like find the fight and beat him to the punch. Do you think the spider needs a new corner or maybe a new camp? Well, I mean, that's just not going to happen one way or the other. Asking him to beat him to the punch is not bad advice. It's actually great advice. It's actually one of the reasons why he lost that fight. I encourage you to watch the Monday Morning Analyst if you haven't already for any number of reasons. But there's, there's Michael Bisping won that fight a couple of ways, a few ways. One was that he was the guy that was in control of the distance the majority of the fight. You know, if you're the guy managing real estate, chances are you're going to be the guy that's managing the fight generally. And that's very true in this fight. The second one is that he's just proactive. Even when there are moments where um, Anderson would engage, he would sometimes engage slowly. And so he and Bisping would start at the same time but Bisping would like really explode into a move and get there quicker. And there was a lot of times where he would just not engage. He would try to counter strike or just wait and he wouldn't pull the trigger uh, a sign of an aging fighter, by the way. So asking him to be offensively proactive was right. And it was Bisping won that fight in part because he was just more active. He was physically way, way, way more active um, and proactive. He was off to the punch first, be there first, get there first, attack first. You know, if you're if you're if you're destined to counter strike and you're determined to do it, well, then I suppose that's you know you're going to have to live and die by that. But most coaches are going to tell, especially young fighters, you know, you definitely want to be defining the complexion of this fight. If you have to counter strike because that's really the best way, you know, then we'll form a game plan around it. But even then, you're going to want to do things first to elicit reactions that you can then counter. Someone's asking about the SB Nation long form issue with Daniel Holtzclaw. Y'all know I just can't touch that with the 10 foot pole. Uh, Uriah Hall versus Silva. What is next for Uriah Hall and Anderson Silva? This looks like an entertaining matchup. Yeah, you could do that. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Two guys have a problem pulling the trigger, though. I wonder how that would look. Hmm. I don't know. That might get that might be a worse fight than you think.
BJJ, Metamorphs, and EBI. Any word on when the next Metamorphs show will be? I've heard they're working on one, but I don't know a date. Um, but I, I, I am told that they're, you know, trying to put one together, but I don't have a date for it. Are Eddie Bravo and EBI going to take control of the sports BJJ world? EBI 6 is going to be great, even though Galvan dropped out, unfortunately. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Sport BJJ because you still have Polaris out there, but they're behind a pay. Here's the funny part about that. Grappling, man, used to be – how do I say this? It was behind a paywall in the sense that if you want to watch the world, you'd have to go to ibjjftv.com, pay like 50 bucks, and you would get – that's what I always do. And you get like all weekend. You get white, blue, purple, brown, black belts. And you'd say, why would you do that? Because actually, if you're thinking about like what kind of jiu-jitsu style matches MMA more, it's basically like purple. Purple matches what you see in MMA – the, at least the UFC the most. Now, I'm not saying the level you see in the UFC is purple belt. What I'm saying is the kinds of attacks that they use, and even blue, really. Now, it might be like a black belt applied mount or a black belt applied standard arm bar. You know, Jacare's arm bar from mount is going to be perfect, but that's a level of tech, technical sophistication you would probably find at the blue belt level or the purple belt level. It's about what you see. So their game is actually kind of much more mirror MMA in that way. When you get to the brown and then the black belt, it's a lot of lapel guard stuff. It's a lot of, you know, De La Hiva attacks to the back. It's a lot of inverting. It's just a lot of stuff you don't really see in MMA. So, um, for, for that reason. But long story short, but a lot of MMA, a lot of jiu-jitsu was just free. It was free to watch. And now with Fight Pass and then Flow Grappling, you're seeing a lot of pro MMA, understandably, you're seeing it behind a paywall, and that makes it, I think, to me, a lot less attractive. If they're going to put it behind a paywall that I'm already paying for, in the case of Fight Pass, that, to me, is attractive. But I don't know what's going to happen with all these various paywalls that are up. And, and, and Metamorphs, of course, you know, is not free either. So um, we'll see what happens with it all in the end. I don't, I don't really know. We'll see if we can even survive. All right, it's 2.15. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. Bellator's non-tentpole TV events have averaged 651 viewers thus far in 2015, which is either average or below average. Although if it's below average, it is only slightly below average. Uh, let's see. Can you name one featherweight, one lightweight, and one welterweight respectively that would cause the most problems for McGregor? Um... Some might say Edgar. I'm not sure how much I believe that, but okay, there's a case to be made there. At lightweight, um, if we're saying non-champions, Tony Ferguson maybe. And then at welterweight, man, there's some tough guys. Steven Thompson maybe. With Silva showing signs of slowing down, if he is not able to finish like he used to, will interest in him diminish? Slowly, but yes. Truth is, you got Kimbo Slice out here, 43 years old, and that's a different reports. Redskins to use the franchise tag on Kirk Cousins. About to say, they were going to use the transition tag. I was going to have a conniption fit. All right. Um, passions for fighters we like dies hard. Now, it's I don't think they're ever going to cut him. He'll probably retire in the UFC. But if he went to Bellator and they, match, they made matches for him appropriately, Silva could do this for a long time. Who wins Pettis versus Holloway? Man, that's tough. Jones versus Rothwell. I like Jones. McGregor versus Rory. I don't know. Aldo versus Cerrone. 
Man, it's a tough one. Those are all tough calls. Wow. Pettis versus Holloway. I'd actually like Holloway. Jones, for, oh, based on the version we saw against Eddie Alvarez. Jones versus Rothwell Jones. McGregor versus Rory. I don't know. And then Aldo versus Cerrone. Man, it's a tough call. I don't know. I That's a great I don't know. These are very, very tough calls. Very tough calls. Do you truthfully believe there are UFC fighters that are not on PEDs in a highly competitive, demanding sport? Yeah, I'm sure some of them aren't. Why have the majority of Asian fighters in the UFC failed to reach the top? Is an Asian champion realistic? It is realistic, maybe perhaps in the smaller weight classes, but, I mean, you have a couple problems. There are some strong wrestling traditions, certainly out of Japan uh, and Korea to an extent, uh, but not out of China or many of the other Asian countries, Vietnam, Laos, Thailand. Um, you are beginning to see some world-class operations set up in other places outside of Japan. And even Japan has had a decline in world-class operations. The gyms just aren't there anymore to produce the same guys, the same quality of guys. Um, you know, you are, you are seeing gyms like evolve, for example, but even then they farm in a lot of guys and, you know, they can only take, they take in a lot of guys who are by the time they're already in their twenties trying to learn how to wrestle. It's just very, very difficult. You know, places that are going to have elite athletes from wrestling are just always going to do better. Generally, generally, you're going to get your Conor McGregor's for sure. You're going to get your, um, you know, wrestling's not strong out of Brazil, but you're going to get a lot of strong fighters out of there too. But um, for now, that's really the the dominant paradigm. And again, you have strong wrestlers coming out of Japan and to a lesser extent, Korea, um, and you have good judo, but judo without the geese, you know, it's not the same kind of thing for the most part. Rumors are that Nick Diaz might next be for Bisping. I don't know if there's any rumors. There was people on Twitter talking about it. Once the suspension is lifted, do you, are you in favor of that? Sure. It'd be a fun fight. Do you think a matchup between Nick Diaz and Conor McGregor would be much different than Diaz and Conor McGregor? Uh, it'd be basically the same, but a lot more movement for Nick because he's so much bigger and, and can take a Nick Diaz can take a huge shot in ways I'm not sure Nate can. Look, what is your view on Fight Pass, and have you heard anything about the new interface? Fight Pass continues to get better event by event. Um, I am very happy that they're putting things like Jim Miller versus Diego Sanchez on Fight Pass, even though it's earlier in the event and it wouldn't make the main card as good, right? But Or it would make the main card better if they could move it up. But um, I like that they're making it a priority. I love that Silver versus Bisping was on it. I like watching their fights on it. I like being able to do my podcast, the Monday Morning Analyst, from it. Makes it a lot easier than having to take pictures of my TV. Uh, which kind of sucks. Uh, so that's kind of fun. I like watching fights in slow motion, which they allow for. I like, I mean, I like the fight pass product. Their search interface blows. Um, but you know, if you ever, if you ever want to know how hard this is like trying to get a good search engine is like trying to do MMA refereeing. You take Google for granted, go use Bing, go use Yahoo, go use, uh, you know, Alta Vista, or what at northernlights.com or whatever, and you'll realize, wow, th these search engines are doo-doo. Google is just so much better. But really, it's like not only is Google better, Google is the only one that's even like worthwhile. That's kind of how MMA refereeing is. Um, you kind of take for granted what you got. When you see what else is bad, you're like, ugh, this is way better. Um, so I'm not sure where I was going with that. Oh, yeah, so their search sucks on Fight Pass, but search is hard to get right, man. Really, really hard to get right. Um, and they still haven't quite figured out how to get me to go in there more 
you know, I, I never just go in there and leave it open. I wonder if they had like a, if they had, if they had running channels, um, that like programmed channels with like content hosts and live programming and like, you know, Dan Hardy breaking down fights every Wednesday at 3 PM or something. That would be really cool. You know, get me to tune into fight pass more often and just leave it open rather than, cause what I do with Norman today is in my office, I just leave on sports center or I'll put on uh, Fox sports one occasionally. Um, and I just leave it on in the background just to keep, make sure I'm, I'm hearing sports news and to see if any UFC news makes it. I'd like to be able to do that with like fight pass, just leave it on because there's channels running with something that is current and important and helpful. Uh, could you discuss the third round of Silva Bisping should or shouldn't it be a 10, eight under the current rule set under the current rule set? There is no argument to make that a 10, eight. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't change the scoring criteria to make that more accurate. Um, and you know, clearly say what happened into that third is better than what happened in the, in, let's say the first round for Michael Bisping. Um, and yet we score those the same. That to me seems a little bit weird. I'm with you, but under the current rule set, that's definitely not a 10, eight, a near finish by itself is not a 10, eight. Maybe it should be, but it's not. Do you think Matt Mitrion will get his loss to Brown overturned? Almost no chance, which makes, makes me upset, but I don't see it. True or false, Anderson should fight on the Brazil card on the 14th of May in a three-round contest. Um, sure, true. What will be the bigger X factor on Saturday? Connor striking? I mean, that's not an X factor. Or Nate's BJJ. Diaz has only 30% takedown accuracy. It's Nate's BJJ. Like, the X factor doesn't mean... The X factor is like the non... Like if you if you add up all the obvious factor, the X factor is the other one, right? It's the non main it's the non main points. You have your main points, then your X factor. So in the main point would be Connor striking. I think that's going to be what decides it all, really. Uh, true false. Dot of five thousands performance and health problems will affect somehow the expectation promotion on CM Punk's debut. Huh? That's a great question. I don't think so in terms of the promotion, but maybe after the fact. If he looks really bad after the fact and hangs on long enough to look bad, right? If he goes and just loses quickly, people will say, ah, whatever. You know, who cares? But if he goes in there and finds a way to hang on and just looks like garbage the whole time, or, you know, looks like garbage just long enough to create a bad impression, there might be. There might be. How can a guy with a 0-3-1 in his last four still be ranked six? My recommendation is to give up on the rankings as a measurement of uh, achievement. True or false, the loser of Jim Miller, Diego Sanchez, should really consider retirement. Sure, true. Movement coaches, is it the equivalent of a mental coach, but in a kinesthetic way? Does it contribute in creating an edge of pseudo self-confidence over an opponent? Yes, it does. It really does. There's a bit of mental yoga involved in movement that we don't really talk about. We talk about movement in terms of what it does tactically for you and strategically. And that's a good way to talk about it. It's perhaps the most important way. But the other part of movement is that there's this sense of um, spiritual balance involved in it, which is why a lot of us are like, ah, eh, we kind of dismiss it, but there is something to be said for all of that. 
Your pick. Next fight for Bisping. Silva, Musasi, Rampage, Aldo, Glover, Teixeira, Wonderboy. Well, we can go ahead and eliminate Rampage from that list. So that would be Silva, Musasi, Aldo. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Pick the next fights for all these guys. Bisping. Uh, I'll say Musasi. Silva. I don't know. Musasi. Bisping. Rampage. I would like Tito. Aldo. McGregor. I'm sorry. Um, Edgar. Glover Teixeira. I don't know. And Wonder Boy. I would like to see him fight either Rory or for the title. What is currently worth more to fighters? A title fight or a McGregor fight? Depends on the fighter, but I'm going to say more fighters would care about it. The dude's got three weight classes calling him out. I mean, seems to me like that's obviously a priority for some of these guys. Would you consider shaving your facial hair for good if that meant you'd have to hear face the pain again? Well, that's a great question. Um, I would rather... I would rather see the Martian win an Oscar than hear face the pain again. And I think it's more defensible to say, you know, what's really tasty feces sandwiches. They are just so delicious. People really underrate feces sandwiches. That is more defensible than saying, you know what? The Martian's a good movie. The script is hilarious. And really, I have to say that line, I'm going to science the S out of this. I, I enjoyed that. The feces sandwich line is more defensible than that. And I would rather the Martian win best Oscar, best picture in Oscar, than here face the paint again. So facial hair, I don't know. But I'm willing to go pretty far and say a lot of crazy things to never hear that again. Is the real Anderson Silva back? How do you feel about Silva's performance in London? Although he lost, he was equal parts showy, creative, and frustrating. He was not equal parts showy, creative, and frustrating. He was majority frustrating. Very little showy and very little creative. Just like vintage Anderson. Nope, not at all. For all of his fists of fury hand-waving and reluctance to finish a nearly done Bisping, we saw a flying knee, a front kick, and an almost upward elbow land. You're mentioning two techniques that worked. One of which didn't do anything except push him back because this, because Anderson didn't follow up on it. Is he more relevant after this loss than the frankly timid Diaz win? You have to be out of your mind. Who wins? Prospect edition. Page versus Tom Breeze. Michael Page. Tom Breeze. Duho Choi versus Maquan Amir Khani. Ooh, man. Um, maybe Amir Khani because of his wrestling. Yair Rodriguez versus Brian Ortega. Boy, Jesus, that's a tough call. Um, maybe Ortega. Mursad Bektich versus Arnold Allen. Bektich. Easy call. Rashid Magomedov versus James Vick Magomedov. Worley Alves versus Albert Tumanov. Tumanov. Jake Matthews versus Sage Northcutt. Matthews. Justin Scoggins versus Louis Smoka. <clears throat> Very tough fight, but I'll say Scoggins. But that's a tough fight. Someone asking about uh, Conor McGregor's bipolar disorder. Bipolar is nothing that I can speak to in any kind of informed way. Um, so, unfortunately, I can't answer that question. I really don't. I don't even want to touch a subject like that without having any kind of... Um, um, I just don't have any basis of knowledge upon which to comment. Uh, Nunes versus Shevchenko. This guy's excited. Let me see if I can end this. If Trump and Sanders are nominated, should we put them in a cage and let them fight it out no holds barred? 
I mean, I guess if you want to see Trump win. Uh, Carl was shot in the eye. How happy were you when Carl on The Walking Dead was shot in the eye? Conversely, how disappointed were you that he survived? Once again, Carl, who is just the barnacle of The Walking Dead. Everyone's like, your takes are two seasons old. Oh, are they? This clown continues to just be a drain on the resources and, and responsibilities of everyone else around him. He's the worst character on the show. I've been hoping he will die, and yet the zombies eat uh, that beautiful lady and her child. Um, Car- Carl is just Carl is the kind of Carl is the kind of person to be like, you know what? The Martian deserves to to uh, to win an Oscar. Now, pardon me while I devour this six inch feces <laughs> submarine sandwich. This feces hero. Um. Let's do one more and we'll get out of here. One more, quickly. Uh, Someone says, um, my process, does it come naturally to me? Have you had to work on it? And can you give any insight into the techniques you have used or things you have tried to work on to help your improve your performance for this show or the MMA beat. Thanks. Um, if you mean like answering questions like this uh, and doing this kind of thing, it is a very simple response that I will give you. The more you do it, the better it will be. This is simply people ask me, um, you know, why, like why do a chat over like another podcast or calling fighters on the phone? Like what's the point of doing a chat? Well, one, it's interactive to an extent Two, I like using the video platform. Um, so there's other reasons like that, but really at the core of it, like what, what, what it's about is that, um, I like the idea of having to stay up on as many topics as possible to keep your mental sword as sharp as possible so that you can always, to the extent possible, try to connect all the dots, try to have a level of general literacy about what's happening before you and have the ability to speak about these things as a function of recall. Um, Obviously, there's going to be a level which you'll never meet, but the more you do it, the better you can get at it. Um, there's something to be said for people who can think on their feet. There's something to be said for people who are not suggesting that I'm in any way uh, exemplary in that regard, but I'm certainly trying. It's a priority for me to try however far I get, you can judge, but, um, but, but there is, you know, having mental nimbleness has value across a variety of other exercises and things you'll do in this life. And finding an exercise where you get to do that every week is really, really good for you. You know, um, Thinking about bigger issues over time matters too. All these things I say here are always up for revision as new information is um, brought in, but that's what this is about. All right, so I have to go. Please give this video a thumbs up if you haven't already. I really appreciate it. You can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can um, follow me on SoundCloud, facebook.com slash Luke T Sports, Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. I thank everyone for watching. We'll have lots of coverage of UFC 196. Wish me luck in jury duty tomorrow. That should be a ton of fun. Until next time, stay frosty.